If you would, please open your Bibles with me to the book of the Psalms. Today we're looking at Psalm 66. And if you would, look there with me in verse 16. Psalm 66, verse 16. Come and hear. Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. Beloved, come in here, and I will declare what he hath done for our souls. Think of it, beloved. All our sins forgiven, righteousness imputed, being justified freely by his grace in God's sight. And we can go on and on declaring what he hath done for us. And my friend, this is every believer's testimony. You see, it's not what we have done for him. Rather, it's what he has done for us. Remember the many spoken of in Matthew chapter 7? They came before the Lord and said, We have done many wonderful works in thy name. We preached in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We've done this and we've done that. Look at what we have done. Now, what's wrong with that? Well, it's not what he had done. Remember what the Lord will say to those people, and not a few, but but many. He'll say to them on that day, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You see, our testimony as believers of God's sovereign saving grace is not what we have done for him. No, no. Rather, it's testifying of what he has done for us. You know, it's very telling. I mean... If you hear someone give their testimony as to what they say and who they talk about, and they say it's, you know, it's me, myself, and I, or, or is it all about him? You see, for believers, the testimony is what he has done for us. I love that portion in 2 Timothy chapter 1. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, and there in verse 9, we read there the apostle Paul writing to young Timothy, Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. Now, Paul was in prison when he wrote these words, and he says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me or of his gospel for its, and and this is the portion, verse 9, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Paul writes, therefore, it's God who hath saved us, God who hath saved us. Beloved, we didn't save ourselves. No, no, God hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to God's own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, that's our testimony, beloved. And here's another blessed testimony of all that he has done for us. And it's found in Revelation chapter 1. There in verse 5, what a blessed testimony it is. You see, beloved, when the redeemed in glory sing praises unto the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is verse 5, it's unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You see, to him be all the honor and glory both now and forever. Both now and And in glory, God's people declare all that God has done for them in Christ. 
Beloved, he loved us and we only love him. We only love him because he first loved us. We didn't wash ourselves. He washed us in the blood of the lamb. Indeed, the blood of God's only begotten son cleanses us from all our sin. That's our testimony. And it's all by his grace. Indeed, that's the story we love to tell, is it not? It's not about what we have done. It's not about what we have done. It's all about what he has done. It's his story. All of our salvation is of the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, salvation is of the Lord. My friend, there never was a sinner saved by accident. Every sinner God saves, he saves on purpose in grace. You see, beloved, you didn't just bump into the gospel one day. The gospel of God's grace didn't cross your path by accident. You didn't just bump into it happenstance. You see, God crossed your path with the truth and he broke your heart with it by revealing the truth to your heart. Therefore, when you hear somebody lie on God and lie on man and preach another gospel, well, you won't have that. As the psalmist sets forth, through thy precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate, I hate every false way. Now, it's right to hate what God hates. It's right to hate that which is contrary to God's truth. All of our salvation is of the Lord. And he is called the author of it, and he's the finisher of it. It starts with him, and it's accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And it has a glorious, expected end for the believer. What is the end of our salvation? It's to be predestinated and conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, who doesn't want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer wants to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Who doesn't want to be predestinated to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, there's some people in religious circles who would like to take that word predestinated out of God's word. Well, that word is found four times in the Bible. So, my friend, you've got to deal with it or run from it. But believers rejoice in that word, predestinated, predetermined. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, there in verse 11. Ephesians 1, verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. You see, beloved, that is our declaration. This is our testimony. And that's the difference. That's the difference, is it not? Between this ministry and the many buildings up and down Highway 59 who love taking the, the truth of the gospel and twisting it. And rather than testify of what God has done for them, well, they, they can't testify of that because God hasn't done anything for them. They just go on and on in what they vainly believe that they're doing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Or worse yet, believe some trite saying is going to save you. Like I just read the other day, I read this on a sign. Aspire to inspire before you expire. What on earth does that have to, anything to do with the gospel of God's well-pleasing son? Nothing. So, beloved... What sets this ministry apart is that we preach the truth as it is in Jesus. It's not like we have some big name preacher or some powerful, eloquent somebody 
No, no. I'm a nobody from nowhere. Indeed, I like what one preacher of the gospel said. He said, I'm a nobody preaching somebody who can save anybody. And so that's what sets this ministry apart. It's not the personality. It's the person we preach. We preach Christ Jesus and him crucified. I'll say it again. It's not who's preaching. It's who is preached, beloved. I trust we all determine with our brother Paul not to know anything among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Christ crucified is all my pardon, all my salvation. He put away my sin and brought in an everlasting righteousness that he freely imputes to his beloved people. Beloved, we say with the psalmist and all of God's people, I will declare what he hath done for my soul. He hath done all things. Remember our study in Psalm 57? Turn there with me. Psalm 57. We read there in God's word, Psalm 57, verse 2. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. What comfort there is to have reading that. Psalm 57, verse 2. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. All of my pardon through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. For pardon of all my sins, past sins, present sins, future sins. And all of my acceptance through the perfect, spotless righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor, do you mean to tell me there's nothing that I need to bring? Nothing I need to add, nothing I need to say or work to merit salvation. My friend, lay down your deadly doing. Just lay down your deadly doing. Lay it down. It would be an insult to the Lord Jesus Christ to try to bring something and try to paste that onto him. It would be an insult to him, would it not? I'm mindful of that portion in Ephesians chapter 2, just right here in, in, in verse 8. We read there, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. So grace, not of yourselves, salvation, not of yourselves. And that faith that's undeservedly given to his people that we might believe and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Verse nine, not of works, lest any man should boast for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. His workmanship, beloved. Not, not, we don't have anything to do with our salvation. He's the author and finisher of our salvation. I mean, just to speak in the temporal, what would you think if some talented artist had a work of art on gallery and you looked at it and you added some smudge mark to it and then tried to put your name beside it? Do you think you might just be a little bit put off by that? That's why we read in Isaiah, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, but the perfect spotless righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what makes us acceptable to God. Being clothed, undeservedly clothed by the Lord Jesus Christ, put into his righteousness and washed in his precious blood. Here's his perfect, completed, glorious work of salvation. And the unbeliever says, well, you know, that's not enough. That's exactly what the Judaizers said. Remember Acts 15? You turn there with me. It's astonishing to read this, but the Holy Spirit has recorded this remarkable account 
of unbelief, these Judaizers, these these Jewish men that were not really Christians and try to pass off this message as the gospel, which is no gospel at all. In Acts chapter 15, we read there in the very first verse, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. It's the same thing going on today, beloved. They'll say, except you do this or except you do that. You got to do these five steps, three three steps. That's not what the word of God says. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's the gospel. And by God's undeserved grace, beloved, we do that very thing. You see, anyone who teaches or preaches anything that we need to add to these things, to add to the gospel, my friend, that's another message, which is no gospel at all. And those who promote it and preach it are the messengers of Satan. While they parade as angels of light, those false ministers who have transformed themselves into the apostles of Christ, well, they, they weren't sent of God. Not sent of God. Well, how do you know they weren't sent of God? Well, just listen to their message. The false message doesn't glorify Christ. It's not Christ-honoring if it honors man. I love to tell the old, old story of Christ. And here's his blessed glory. Verse 1, Psalm 66, verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands, all ye people. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. The gospel is about the honor of his name. The gospel is not about you talking about yourself. Rather, sing forth the honor of his name and make his praise glorious. I love all the places where the Holy Spirit records faithful testimonies of God's sent servants. And in Acts chapter 8, we read there one such servant named Philip, sent of God. And notice what the Holy Spirit records of this man. We have a man sent of God with God's message, with God's means. And in verse 25, rather verse 35, the eunuch evidently asked Philip and said, this is verse 34, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man. And then verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what all gospel preaching is, opening our mouth, making a joyful noise unto God and singing forth the honors of his name. Make his praise glorious. You see, the gospel is about the honor of his name. The gospel is not about you talking about yourself. Rather, sing forth the honor of his name and make his praise glorious. You see, the gospel is about Christ, his person, his work. God has given him a name above every name, that at that name every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. So sing forth praises unto his name. What a joyful sound the gospel is to a poor, needy, bankrupt, guilty sinner. That's good news. As cool water is to a thirsty soul, as good news from a far country, you're out there in the desert, dried up, bleached and parched, 
and you're just so thirsty, you can't even open your mouth, just shut together, and then someone comes along with cool water and pours it in. Oh, how refreshing is the gospel. My friend, that's what the gospel is to a sinner. It's good news. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that the Lord Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Do you know who the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is made up of? Do you know? Sinners. Just sinners. In fact, if you turn with me to 1 Timothy, this is the gospel of our salvation, beloved. This gospel is not for pretenders. This gospel is not for those people that say, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect, but my neighbor's worse than I am. This is a gospel for sinners and only sinners. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, the apostle writes there, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. The whole world ought to receive it, but you won't be able to, my friend, unless the Lord enables you to by his quickening grace, giving you life to receive Christ. Look at this gospel declaration. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul doesn't say of whom I was chief. He says of whom I am chief. The Lord Jesus Christ did not come into the world to try and save everybody. He came into the world to save sinners. And that's exactly what he has done, beloved. The old uh, hymn writer, Joseph Hart, penned this stanza. What comfort can a Savior bring to those who never felt their woe? A sinner is a sacred thing. The Holy Ghost has made him so. New life from him we must receive before for sin we rightly grieve. You know, most people don't think they're sinners. They just don't. But my friend, if God ever convinces you in your heart of what you truly are and who you are, not merely what you've done, but who you are and what you are, well, as the psalmist penned, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Oh, sing forth the honor of his name. The gospel is a joyful sound to a poor and needy sinner. Look at what the sweet psalmist of Israel writes in Psalm 40. Psalm 40, verse 17. I am a poor and needy. This is the last verse of Psalm 40. I am poor and needy. I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinketh on me, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. Beloved, what a blessed treasure we have in Christ. It's a delightful thing to worship him and to sing forth the praises unto his name. As we read in Revelation, we sing that new song of grace. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor, and glory, and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive all glory, blessing, and power, both now and forever. You see, He's worthy of all honor and praise, is He not? Therefore, Psalm 66, verse 3, Therefore, verse 3, Say 
unto God, how terrible, how terrible art thou in thy works, how tremendous are thy works, through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. My friend, did you know that salvation is by works? Did you know that? That salvation is by works? Now, the only thing of it is this. It's by God's works. It's by God's works. You see, somebody had to honor the law. Somebody had to put away all my sin. My substitute did. He did all the work, so now I just rest. I rest in what he's finished and what he's accomplished for his beloved people. And what he's done is finished. That's why the Lord said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How terrible art thou in thy works. We're going to see when we get over to Psalm 111. Psalm 111 tells us all about his work. If you turn there with me, Psalm 111, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of them, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Look at verse 6. He hath showed his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever, and are done in truth and uprightness. You see, it's all about his doing, and so we declare what he hath done for us. So fearful, so tremendous are his works, his works, his doing, we read in Revelation 5, verse 3, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. How terrible art thou in thy work through the greatness. Look at Psalm 66 again. Verse 3. We read there in, in the latter part, Through thy greatness of thy power. Notice the greatness of his power. Now, it's not just that he possesses some power. It's not just that he possesses some power. This is the one who really is God. And as such, he has the greatness of all power. And it's not just that he's mighty. He's almighty through the greatness of his power. Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. Thine enemies shall bow themselves unto thee and surrender. Give up. How great is the power that our God possesses? Beloved, he possesses all power in heaven and earth. None can stay and stand in opposition to his power. None can stand up in front of his power and say no. No one can stand before God and say anything. For all opposition melts into utter insignificance before his power. He has almighty power. Just after the apostle writes there in Romans... 
if you turn there with me, Romans chapter 9. He's setting forth the gospel of God's sovereign grace. And in Romans chapter 9, I like here what we read the Holy Spirit recording for us to know. In verse 16, how that salvation, salvation is not of that man that willeth, nor of that man that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. And how that God hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. And in Paul's day, there were men who objected to that message, just as there are men in our day. And I love what he writes to reply in reply to the unbelieving scoffer. Listen to what he writes to the unbelieving scoffer. Verse 20. O man, who art thou? Who are you? Who are you that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another under dishonor? Verse 22. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory? You see, his people shall be made willing in the day of his power. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Well, that begs the question. How do we believe? How is it that you find yourself believing this morning? Do you know how it is that we believe, beloved? Well, a sinner must believe to be saved, but how? Well, we read in Ephesians chapter 1. We read in Ephesians chapter 1 there in verse 17 how the Lord moves his people to pray. And Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? Now, how is it that we believe? according to the working of his mighty power. You see that, beloved? We believe according to the working of his mighty power. My friend, that's the only way we're going to believe the truth. And that's by the working of his mighty power. You see, he has all power in heaven and earth. And that brings us to verse 4. Psalm 66, verse 4. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee, They shall sing to thy name. My friend, the only place where a sinner will truly worship, the only place where a sinner will truly worship is at the throne of the almighty sovereign God. That's the only place a sinner will worship. You see, our God is no weakling. He's not a powerless wannabe God. Indeed, he has no equal. And so we worship the true and living God who is almighty And we are brought before him by his mighty power that brings us to this thing of worship. Worship. All believers desire to worship him. Now, right now, at this time, we've gathered here this morning. We've come here to worship him. 
who've come here to listen to the preaching of his gospel and to worship around the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. Hear me. True worship is not born of ignorance. My friend, we don't ignorantly worship God. Rather, God's people worship him in spirit and in truth. He says in the scripture, the father seeketh such to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so you see the true, true worship, true worship is born not of ignorance, but of truth. True worship is born of the, of, of, of revelation of God. And my friend, it takes God to reveal God. And when God reveals himself in your heart, you'll say holy and reverend is his name. Now the idolaters in Paul's day in the city known as Athens, they erected an idol unto an unknown God. Did you know ignorant worship is idolatry? That's what it is. Ignorant worship is just idolatry. And so, beloved, we don't ignorantly worship the unknown God. Rather, he's revealed himself to us through the word of truth. And because the word of truth has led us to the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore we worship him in spirit and in truth. And the Father seeketh such to worship him in that way. Our services are worship services, and that's what every believer delights in, rather to worship him who loved us and washed us in his own blood. Now look at verse 5. Come and see. Well, come and see what? What we have done? Come and see how much we've done for Jesus? Is that what it is? Is that the message? Come and see how many souls we've won. Come and see how many people are attending the services. See what we have done in the name of the Lord. Is, is that what God's people say? My friend, here's what the true child of God declares. Come and see the works of God. Now, there's a stark contrast here. A contrast of night or day, death or life. What a contrast. Come and see the works of God. He is terrible in his doing toward the children of men. Beloved, aren't you glad that God is terrible? He's terrible. Now, not in a negative way. Not in a negative way. I mean, that he's awesomely powerful in a tremendous way. He's a tremendous God. He's almighty God. And beloved, we can't preach him too high. We can't give him too much honor. We can't exalt the Lord Jesus Christ too high. I'd like to be guilty of that, wouldn't you? To be charged with saying too much about the Lord Jesus Christ? My friend, come and see the works of God. He is tremendous in his doing toward the children of men. Think of it, beloved. The Son of God became the Son of Man, that sons of men might be called sons of God. He's tremendous in his doing toward the children of men. Now, who are the children of men? Who are they? We're sinners born in sin, shapen in iniquity. He is terrible in his doing toward sinners. Oh, the salvation we have, beloved, and we enjoy in the Lord Jesus Christ is tremendous salvation. A tremendous salvation by which we're saved, not almost, but to the uttermost. Come behold the works of the Lord. Come and see. Remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4, when the Lord dealt with her in mercy and sent her back to her community? Remember what she said? She said the same thing that we read here in Psalm 66. Verse 5, come and see a man who told me everything. He is terrible in his person. He's tremendous in his person. He's, he's terrible. I heard an account 
of something Ralph Barnard said. Now, Ralph Barnard used to preach God and his absolute sovereignty over all things, creation, providence, and salvation. And some rebel came along and said, your God is a monster. And old Barnard said, well then, get ready to meet a monster. Get ready to meet a monster. Get ready to meet him with whom we have to do. Outside of Christ, outside of his precious blood and his perfect righteousness, you will be dealing with a monster. But in Christ, we've been reconciled to the Father, utterly and completely through his doing and dying. God is almighty. God is God. And this is what Paul tells us in the book of Hebrews. He is the God with whom we have to do. He is terrible in his doing toward the children of men. He saves us in such a glorious, terrible way, in a tremendous way, that gives him all the glory. You see, he does it in such a way so as to shut out all creature merit. Just 100% of it is just taken aside. And so now, all we can testify is what the Lord has done for us. It's not what we have done for him. Nobody will be in glory in heaven, looking to your left and to your right. Well, what did you do to get here? It's all of grace, undeservedly given to us through the gospel of God's darling son. You see, beloved, our salvation is not based upon whether we change or don't change. Because we change. You see, our salvation is based upon his unchanging character, based upon his unchanging purpose and grace. If you read there with me in Malachi, just before Matthew, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, we read there, our God testifying, I am the Lord, I changeth not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. His unchanging character. Come and see his unchanging character. Come and see his unfailing word. He said, I've spoken it. I'll bring it to pass. I purposed it. And is it the case that maybe it will come to pass? No, beloved. It shall come to pass. Everything shall be done according to his perfect holy will. For he works all things after the counsel of his own will. Come and see. He is unchanging character. Come and see his unfailing word. Come and see the success of his work. Now, we have four Gospels, but I don't think it does us any harm to refer to Isaiah as the Gospel of Isaiah, for there's certainly a lot of Gospel there. And in Isaiah chapter 42, you turn there with me, we see there recorded the testimony of our never-failing Savior. Now, while every one of us born in this auditorium Every, every man born into this world is a failure. There's one man who never was a failure, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't born a failure. He was born victorious. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 4, we read there, He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he hath set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. You see, he was born victorious. Remember when the wise men were asking for him? They asked, where is he that's born king? The wise men didn't ask, where is he that will be king one day? 
or will be king in the millennium. No, he is born king, for he was king when he got here. You see, he's God incarnate, God manifest in the flesh. He is successful in his work. And so, just so you understand, let me just plainly declare it afresh. Our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, is a sovereign, successful Savior. He's a conquering, victorious king. And through him, beloved, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Thanks being to God who's given us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. So come and see his tremendous doings. And he gives us an example here in verse 6 of Psalm 66. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice in him. Now, when Israel, the nation, was delivered from over 400 years of Egyptian bondage, and they stood on the bank of the Red Sea, and Moses declared unto them, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And God parted the ocean, uh, part of the sea, and they went through on dry land. When they all got on the other side, the enemies were destroyed. Now, do you suppose for a moment that they stood on the other side and said, Look what we've done? Do you think for a moment they did that? Look what we did. We parted the water. That would be ridiculous, would it not? And yet that is exactly what's going on in pulpits today. They talk about, look what we have done. He turned the sea into dry land. Therefore, we rejoice in him. Verse 7. He ruleth by his power forever. He ruleth by his power forever. You see, his power is not temporary. He ruleth. Now, get a hold of that word. He ruleth. Now, somebody rules this universe, and it's not man. Rather, it's the God-man who created the universe. We didn't in the beginning. He did. For God created the heavens and the earth. He ruleth. He ruleth. Now, what does it mean that he rules? That means he has the absolute sovereign right authority to do as he will with whom he will, when he will for his own glory. He ruleth by power. He ruleth. He is the sovereign Lord. That is, now, now the word sovereign or sovereignty is not in, in Scripture. But the truth of it is the root of the word is how that our God reigneth by his power. And it's not temporary power. He ruleth forever. Again, look at verse 7. He ruleth by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. He rules in omnipotence over all, and he rules by omniscience. He knows all things. He knows our thoughts afar off, and that scares the hypocrite to death. But his people say in verse 8, O bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, which holdeth our soul in life, and suffereth not our feet to be moved. Beloved, bless our God, make the voice of his praise to be heard, what is the voice of his praise? Today, it's the gospel of God concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the voice of his praise. And let it be heard. Don't try to hide the gospel. Let it be heard. We put a sign in the front of this building that declares exactly what we preach. Sovereign grace. That is, God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And whom he will heal, he'll heal. So don't try to remove the offense of the cross. Don't try to smooth the ruffled feathers of some self-righteous religious Pharisee. Rather, preach the gospel. 
Beloved, if you try and take the offense off the gospel, you remove the power. Oh, bless our God, ye people. Make the voice of his praise. Let's sound it forth. Beloved, let's do everything we can to preach the gospel. Let's exhaust all of our resources to preach the gospel. Let us spend everything we have, all of our time, all of our energy, our desires. Let us go forth and preach the glorious gospel of God's well-pleasing son. You know, that's the charge that God has given unto us. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The last words that Paul wrote to Timothy, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing, preach the word, preach the word, preach the gospel of God's darling son. You can't improve upon what God provided. You can't improve upon this message. Just declare it, beloved. And this gospel, the gospel of God concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, is what holds our souls in life. What holds us, beloved? The gospel holds us. What holds us here together as a group of believers? What binds our hearts together in love? What brings us together? What holds us together as believers? It's the gospel of God's grace. That's what holds us together, beloved. That's what binds our hearts together, which holds our soul in life, and he suffers not our feet to be moved. Beloved, he's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And so to him, beloved, the only wise God, our Savior, be all honor and glory both now and forever. And he holds our soul in life, and he will not suffer our feet to be moved. Verse 10. For thou, O God, hast proved us, thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Saving faith will be tried. Saving faith will be proven. Now, not to produce faith. You see, trials don't produce faith. Rather, they prove faith as to whether it's real or phony. Thou, O God, hast proved us, thou hast tried us. Now, so where do these trials come from? Do you know? They come from the hand of our loving Father. And they're sent our way to prove us. And Peter calls them precious trials. Psalm 66 verse 11. Thou broughtest us into the net. Thou laidest affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But thou broughtest us out into a safe place. Is his grace sufficient for the trial? Is his grace sufficient for the trial? God says it is. Beloved, his grace is sufficient for every trial, for every heartache, for every need that we have. He's able to meet all our need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus, our sovereign, successful Savior. Look at verse 13. Remember what David said? I will go into thy house. I will go into thy house. David says in another place, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord. I will go into thy house. I will go into thy house. So why does the believer desire to go into that place that is dedicated to the preaching of the gospel? I mean, why are you here, beloved? I trust it's to hear him, to hear what he hath done for us. I will go into thy house of the Lord with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows. I will pay thee what I owe you. Well, what do we owe him? Absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. 
worship, adoration, exaltation. I will pay thee my vows, verse 14, which my lips have uttered and my mouth hath spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer unto thee burnt sacrifices of fatlings, the best. With the incense of rams, I will offer bullocks with goats. And so let us never come before God without a divinely appointed, God-given, accepted burnt offering. Now, I'm not saying to go out and get yourself a lamb. I'm not saying that. My friend, I'm talking about looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, God's lamb. Behold the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He takes it away by bearing our sin, beloved, in his own body on the tree. Not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood he obtained eternal redemption for us. So let us make sure that we only glory in Christ and him crucified. Let us make sure we approach God only through the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16. We read earlier there in verse 5, come and see. And now we read these words, come and hear. Come and hear all ye that fear God, all you that believe God. And I will declare, I will declare what he hath done for my soul. Come and see come and hear two things come and see come and hear now we get most of our information through the eye gate or the ear gate do we not james writes in his epistle let us be swift to hear slow to speak we get all of our information through the eye gate and the ear gate we either read it or hear it you see faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god through the hearing of the word blessed of the power of God, the Holy Spirit, we see the Lord in his word by God-given faith. And seeing him, we fear God and believe him, and we declare to others what he has done for our soul. That's exactly what the Lord told that man to do. Do you remember the man he healed of that possession of legion? The Lord instructed him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord had done for thee, and hath compassion on thee. Return to thine own house, and show how great things God hath done unto thee. Who did that Gardarin meet that day? He met God manifest in the flesh, the mighty God, the express image of the Father. It was the true and living God who stood before that man and healed him. And this wasn't some chance happening, was it? I mean, was it blind chance that the Lord crossed his path? Oh, no. This was ordained before the foundation of the world. And God crossed his path and saved him by his terrible works, by his tremendous doing. Tell how great things the Lord hath done for you. Beloved, the Father, in choosing us and blessing, of us, blessing us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we can read this account from Ephesians chapter 1. How the Father chose us in that blessed covenant of grace and gave us unto the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the elect of God. We are chosen in him. We declare not only what the Father hath done for us, but what Christ has done for us. As he has attained eternal redemption for his people with his own precious blood. It's in whom we have redemption. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. It says that three times when it talks about all that the Father had done in choosing, predestinating us, being accepted in the Beloved. And then he says, all to the praise of the glory of his grace. 
And then when we talk about the work of the Son in whom we have redemption, it's through His blood. Beloved, we have the forgiveness of sin through the riches of His grace, all to the praise of the glory of His grace. And then when it thirdly talks here about the work of the Holy Spirit, how He has called us from darkness to life and has translated us into the kingdom of His darling Son having translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And then it says, that's all the praise of the glory of His grace. You see, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is declaring what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have done for us. The true and living God, what He has done for us. Have you got it? It's not what we've done for Him. It's what He has done for us. You see the difference? There is a difference from what we preach here and what is sounded out from other pulpits. A big difference. So as the Lord enables us, beloved, every time we gather into this place, we're going to come and see the works of God. Indeed, by God-given faith, we're going to come and hear, and I will declare what he had done for our souls. Amen.